In this episode, I spoke with Jeremy Miller, Senior Director of Commerce Platform at Moda Operandi. Jeremy has over 25 years of experience in launching, managing, and optimizing e-commerce platforms and businesses, including over 3.6 billion of revenue in built systems. Jeremy has a deep understanding of what it takes to build DTC and B2B businesses. He uses full digital transformation strategies by aligning engineering with business goals, hiring the ideal staff, managing international development teams, managing product strategies, and implementing effective UI UX processes. The conversation then shifts to the role of analytics and data in e-commerce, highlighting the value of analyzing customer behavior and making data-driven decisions. The future of e-commerce is explored with a focus on increasing role of AI and automation. Tune in to another invaluable episode about digital transformation, e-commerce best practices, and innovation. Welcome to the Ecom Pulse, your heartbeat to the world of e-commerce. Join us as we meet industry leaders, innovative entrepreneurs, and passionate professionals who are at the forefront of the e-commerce revolution. From groundbreaking technologies to marketing magic, Ecom Pulse is your insider's guide to all things e-commerce. So plug in, gear up, and get ready for a pulse-pounding journey into the heart of e-commerce. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Ecom Pulse podcast. I'm Eitan Kotter, your host. And I have a very special guest today, Jeremy, Jeremy Miller, Senior Director of Commerce Platform at Moda Operandi. Welcome, Jeremy. How are you? Doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Yes, Jeremy. I mean, uh, your career is really very, very exciting and comprehensive. I mean, you've done so much in 25 years in running and operating e-commerce businesses. And probably one of the key highlights and, uh, you know, the crazy and, and data that uh, was highlighted here is like, you actually built, you know, e-commerce platform that generated $3.6 billion in revenues. That's with the B, right? That's with a B. Wow, Absolutely. wow. Yeah. That's oh, really oh, amazing. Amazing. Over years. So probably you work with like like Fortune 10 companies, I guess. Yeah, to, Fortune, to this. Fortune 10, Fortune 100. Um, wow. And, uh, all kinds of larger scale sized companies as well. Yes, yes, yes. Right. It's really amazing. So Jeremy, I mean, we would love to learn more about you. So... Please share with us about your professional background, your experience. And I mean, you can start, you know, whenever you want, you know, just take it from there and that's share with us. I mean, all sure, things that sure. you've been through. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've been in the business, uh, like you said, for, you know, 25, 26 years. So uh, uh, maybe I'm, I'm the, I'm always the old guy in the room now, uh, the, the <laughs> dinosaur. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, yes, got my uh, career start in 1998, 99. So really, that was the beginning of e-commerce, right? It was you know coming right really off the beginning. Uh, yeah, you know, dial-up. Uh, you know, Alta Vista was around. Around, yeah. <laughs> anybody, anybody remembers what Alta Vista is? Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I got my start uh, actually in in the world of B two B e-commerce, uh, and was there for quite some time. But uh, I got uh, a, a great start as a developer. I was also an information architect. Um, which really gave me a, an excellent foundation and beginning of understanding, you know, what customers needed and, uh, you know, going through requirements and being able to you know, do wireframes and, and do all those sorts of things. I actually became yep. a, a graphic artist as well. So, you know, you could do the UI UX uh, part of things. Um, and uh, then over my career, that, I've actually kind of held on to that. Uh, it's, it's been a passion of mine and a love. So I think uh, I brought the, the UX uh, portion of my background to, to every job I've had over my career, but but yeah, I uh, I moved to uh, Augusta, Georgia, where I am today. Uh, actually, strangely enough, I've lived in the same place for quite some time. Um, <laughs> I always assumed I would go somewhere else, but I'm I'm still here. But uh, yeah, I work for a media company. I started uh, an e-commerce uh, business for the media company uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, built websites for them. Um, worked for uh, a manufacturer for a while, ground up, uh, owned a, a, you know, quite a large, you know, hundreds of millions of P&L uh, there, yeah. um, which uh, was a really awesome opportunity to actually own part of the business as well as run the e-commerce side of the, the systems as well. 
I uh, was there for uh, a long time, over a decade, and really got a, a great uh, foundation there in growing my career and just understanding how to grow a business because we really started at, at zero dollars um, and then worked our way up to you know hundreds of millions. So that was a really interesting ride to go from from nothing to to quite something. Yeah, uh, and also build uh, the systems from the ground up as well. You know, starting with what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Yeah. Uh, be able to understand the customers, put systems in place, and then really scale it over the years. Um, yeah. And since then, I, I've, I've enjoyed uh, doing cons- some consulting uh, uh, for a number of years. Again, growing skill sets in that direction as well, understanding what you know, a wide range of companies would need. Um, work for, like I said, uh, you know, Fortune 10, 1500 at uh, you know, Newell Brands. Uh, which is basically half a target, I, I yeah. think, <laughs> at this point. Um, and then also uh, over at Cody uh, as well. It's a you know, French company that owns a large number of, uh, of fragrances and skincare. So, skincare, yeah. Um, yeah, now at uh, Moda Operande. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I feel like I've touched and worn all the hats across the board when it comes to e-commerce systems. Yes, yes. So I know you're also definitely very technical and has a lot of operational experience, but you manage a full PNL, right? And that's right. I mean, so, so, you know, I would love, I would love in this episode, right. To let's build it, build it like step-by-step, step, right. Sure. Assuming we are, we're going to launch a product and we let's start with the foundation of you know, the staffing, the talent acquisition, right. I know, I know you've managed development teams like in, in international location locations as well. So your perspective is very, very important. So on this, you know, basic foundation of talent, you know, what is important, you know, for you when you start launching products and how sure. do you usually build your teams? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, kind of going back in time, right. And, uh, you know, I started my career in 99 and then on up, you know, companies really functioned differently 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so initially, uh, as e-commerce you know, came about, the e-commerce teams reflected how business used to be run. And yeah. so, you know, the, the teams would be structured, you know, around finance, uh, around, uh, you know, operations, uh, you know, around, you know, marketing. And, and then the, you know, there was a little bit of a, a push pull, right? Um, but mm-hmm. again, the, the systems were, were still new and they were still kind of being formulated, but now we have these platforms in place where you've got, you know, the Shopify's and the Magento's and big commerces, uh, not to mention, you know, some of the larger, uh, you know, platforms as well, but, um, they are, they are constructed in a very specific way and they run a very specific way. So if you orient your teams in the same fashion as the platforms are constructed, uh, mm-hmm. then, you know, there's a lot more efficiencies across uh, the board. So, uh, you know, the three or the six big ones is uh, data, content, commerce, CRM, architecture, and operations. And so if you align mm-hmm. your teams under those big six, then it allows you to, for your teams to work the same way the platform works. And so now you're, you're, you're vertically aligned, right? With, yeah. Yeah. Functionality in, the, in the teams. So, uh, of course there's, there's teams underneath each one of those sections. You can have managers and, and people that sometimes there's a developer, sometimes there's, you know, content specialist, uh, data specialist, you know, across the board. But again, though, if you align your teams, uh, with the platform, instead of with, the company, then from a technology perspective, you'll have, uh, you know, a lot of, um, you know, synchronicities across the board. Now, I will, I will say uh, from a product perspective, uh, you have to have the ability to wear both hats, right? From the, on the business side and the technical side, mm-hmm. it's great to set up your, your, your technical teams um, in the way I just described, but then obviously the business isn't going to conform itself to how the platform works typically, because they want to continue to work in in more of a traditional sense. Yeah. So um, having product and project managers in place that are these nice hybrid people that are in between, can speak both languages, understand yep. what the technology teams need, and then mm-hmm. uh, translate that back to the business, what the business needs, translate that back to the technology team. So, you know, you're, you're in the middle, um, speaks really nicely. But, uh, but yeah, having the teams uh, broken up into these six 
um, areas I, I have found is incredibly helpful. Yeah, very, very interesting. And how do you, in terms of the staffing still on this topic, how do you align, you know, engineering or operational staff with, you know, business goals? Okay, so obviously, sure. sometimes, you know, different people wearing different hats, you know, marketing, go to market, and obviously, you know, technical and operational team that needs to support that. How do you see this happening? Sure. Evolving? No, great question. Um, again, it used to be you know, waterfall, um, you know, sort of methodologies and, <laughs> yeah. you know, very clunky, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah. um, but now, though, you know, I, I definitely uh, have adopted the agile approach. Uh, I love um, using, you know, sprints and, and very uh, process oriented uh, procedures when you kind of go forward. Yep. It keeps, it keeps every, the, the machine well oiled. Um, sure. So ensuring again, kind of putting your platform hat on, right? So there's there's a couple of areas, or even three, right? So you have uh, platform capabilities inherent native comes with a platform. Uh, then there are uh, applications that you can install, right? And so you go out and find an application, you install it. Okay, now you have probably the very close to the functionality that's requested or needed. Yes, uh, and then there's custom as well. And so you have these three different areas. Uh, native typically just means configuration. Mm -hmm. Apps uh, typically just mean some installation and some configuration, sometimes some development, but you know, that's not quite as common. Sure. Uh, and then you have the, the custom areas as well, which that's that that's a sort of green space, right? You can, <laughs> sky's the limit, you can get into whatever you want to get into there. Yes. But as, uh, you know, if you put your developer hat on though, you definitely need to really be remembering that these are the three different different areas. So as the business comes up with ideas or needs or improvements, and then they move those into requests with the product team, the product team formulates them into something that's logical. Mm -hmm. have discussions with the engineering teams, those engineering teams then need to real or, or remember that there's these three different areas, right? You can't just go to number three. Well, I'm just going to sure. customize everything because that's a terrible way to go. You yeah. should leverage the platform's capabilities uh, as often as possible. So if you can find something that's, uh, you know, a native app, a, a, a native configuration, use it. If there's an app for that, definitely use it. Um, it you know, as long as it, you know, from a financial standpoint makes sense. Um, and then only as a last resort to go to, you know, a custom yeah. or coding engineering, that type thing. So that, that's a big jump from the way that, that things used to be, right? Sure. It used to be sure. number, number three was the only one, right? There, there yeah. was, there was very little, uh, you know, native platform capabilities. It was usually very bare bones. Um, and then, you know, the applications that even, even four or five years ago, there were not that many applications out there for Shopify or Magento or, or any of the others. Mm -hmm. It was very light, uh, very slim pickings, if you will. And so, um, you know, now, though, there's a multitude uh, and oftentimes yes. uh, even from the, the, you know, Shopify makes their own, Jenga makes their own. So, you know, you, you can find some that are even built specifically by the provider themselves. So, uh, you know, finding those is always preferred because integration is already built. The... Uh, uh, you know, the ability to roll with the, the, the future versions coming up, any changes to the platform uh, is on the application developer, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, there there is a trade-off in ownership there. So from, from a develop, development, go back to your original question, the evolution of what developers are responsible for and their mindset has really changed over the last, you know, four or five years. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it's configuration, Sometimes it's it's not, but most of the time it is. It's just configuration or apps yes. uh, instead of this custom coding. Yes, yes, yes. And obviously, job descriptions are changing rapidly, right? I mean, yes, definitely with the AI now. I mean, like prompt engineering is like a foundation or basic requirements <laughs> for for anyone. So if you want to, as a PNL owner, and if you would have, uh, you know, hire now, uh, let's say, a director of e-commerce for your team. What would be the you know the, the ideal candidate right, looking forward for twenty twenty four and 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 you know next year? Sure, sure. I think the ideal candidate would probably be uh, a, a bit different than it was you know even five or six years ago, mostly because of the the changes in the platform. 
uh, and the mm-hmm. platform's capabilities. Prior, again, prior platform that you would purchase, uh, you know, I'll just pick one like an IBM WebSphere, right? Yeah. You know, it was it was a big player in <laughs> in the in the late aughts, <laughs> you know, 20, 20, uh, 2010 and, and before. Uh, you know, it gave you just basic functionality. And so that e-commerce manager or director would really have to have a lot of technical knowledge. Sure. Um, in today's world, they need to be a bit more of a hybrid person. So they need to have the uh, a, a much more of a, of a business, you know, head on them, right? Yeah. And it really to be able to understand what the business needs. Not to say that prior that wasn't important, but now it's, yes. it's even more it's so. Even more interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, also, have the the ability to understand how to do the configurations uh, and to dive in. So it's not technical so much. It's less technical, still technical a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Having a, a strong architect next to that person, I think, is is critical and okay. key. Um, okay. But yeah, but the e commerce uh, director or manager today, uh, if I was hiring, I would be looking for someone that has good business acumen. Uh, has the ability to understand how systems work together mm-hmm. um, and have a little bit more of a marketing, uh, you know, spin to their their portfolio. Interesting. So require more and more diverse, let's say, experiences and knowledge beyond the specific role, right? I mean, you know, how to share knowledge and work as a team with other stakeholders, right, in the, in the company. That's right. So Jeremy, maybe last uh, question on this topic. I know you've met you also manage international development teams, right, in right. other territories. So for anyone who is listening and considering, you know, outsourcing or hiring a team outside of the US, what what are your you know main you know insights, you know, pain points or opportunities, you know, with international teams? Sure, sure. Uh, opportunities. There's a lot of them. Uh, you know, there are are very smart people around the world uh, that can uh, you know, do various things mm-hmm. that you need, right? So um, I think it's important to remember that there are, you know, quality teams all over the all over the world. And in terms of always having someone on, right, you know, 24-7, yeah. uh, you know, having teams in other par- parts of the world as well, especially for, you know, large enterprises uh, can be quite beneficial. I, mm-hmm. I think at one point I was managing uh, development teams in, India, Sweden, Germany, and the U.S. Wow, uh, for the same project. Well, it was all. It wasn't the same project, but it was all, <laughs> okay. all at the same time, separate same projects. Time. Wow. Uh, but uh, you know that capability though allows you to have people working all the time. Yeah. So you know it's pretty nice. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of really nice things about having people always being able to you know, be available to uh, execute and, yeah. and, and you know, always wide, uh, eyes wide open on on business at hand uh challenges certainly are you know sort of the, the usual suspects it, it, it's you know they're they're not in the same place so you can't you know be face to face sometimes there's uh you know cultural differences between expectations or um or even communication uh you know i, I found uh that to, to be important uh to to be aware of so i think it's important as at in the beginning to be in person Right. Yeah. If you can visit, if you can go to India, if you can go to wherever, uh, you know, to the UK, wherever your team is, be present, understand, you know, who these people are, what motivates them, uh, and to set clear expectations. Uh, being in person, one or two times a year, uh, you know, is quite it's quite helpful. Yeah, important. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, communication though can can uh, be I think one of the the hardest things that seems sort of. Uh, maybe odd, uh, but you mm-hmm. know, a no or a yes uh, in in certain places isn't a no or a yes in other places. <laughs> so you know, as, as you're managing, yeah. as you're you know being a project manager or product manager yeah. in, uh, in other parts of the world, just being super clear uh, is is key. But but yeah, I think certainly the the benefits greatly outweigh any of the challenges. Yes. Yes, and and the primary triggers to go international is probably cost, right? Or also, you know, time time frame, reduce project times time frames, right? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's yeah. definitely uh, cost benefits, sure, uh, uh, as well. Um, but uh, you know that that surely isn't the the main motivator, though, because the skill sets need to be there. I, I've definitely been sure. in, I've been in situations where uh, cost was the main consideration. 
Uh, but it was exponential in time. So, you know, we actually ended up paying more uh, because we didn't necessarily look at the skill set of the team uh, as closely as maybe we should have. And we're mostly uh, concentrating on on cost. So you definitely have to weigh out. I mean, again, uh, skill sets, um, either if you're in the U.S., the U.K., you know, uh, Sweden or India or anywhere Mm -hmm. else, uh, people are people. Some people are great at things and some people are not. Yeah. Uh, But everyone says that they're great. So you definitely have to, you have to, you know, look closely, but yeah, definitely there's there's, a cost benefits there for sure. Great. So I think once we have, uh, assuming we have the talent in place, you know, we have the most amazing staff and the key directors and leaders in each one of the, in the, you know, responsibilities. So let's take it to the next step, right? Let's talk about product, product strategy, product management, right? How do you see this planning? you know, needs to be, you know, developed in order to come up with the best strategy for the product. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, I, I like to think about product as like a, an ecosphere or, uh, or maybe even like a garden, right? Where yes. you know, things are, are, mm-hmm. are planted next to each other. They have to, to, to like each other. <laughs> they mm-hmm. also have to, to benefit each other as well. Uh, and so ensuring that you understand your overall system in its entirety, how it's working together uh, and ensuring that they are, are tailored to, to be, to be working together as best you possibly mm-hmm. can, I think is important. You don't get that luxury all the time, right? You can't always just say, Oh, I'm going to go out and build a brand new system with all new pieces. Uh, however, with some of these uh, newer platforms, it's a little bit easier because a lot of the pieces are, are made to go together. Mm-hmm. So it's important, though, to make sure that you know, you're not selecting things just because oh, I like it. So I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to ram it in. Right. I'm going yeah. to, uh, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a drill and a hammer. And I'm going to make sure that <laughs> they yeah. like each other. Sometimes it, it's better to go out and look at, you know, the different areas um, or, or different services, different capabilities of products out there to make sure that they go together. Um and uh, so, you know, the areas, again, there's a few areas in terms of, of systems as they are being put together and, and built uh, that I like to look at. It's marketing, uh, front end, uh, mm-hmm. back end, uh, and then media management. And the media management, I, I would definitely put uh, uh, data uh, in there as well. And so those are really the I kind of to break down. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, the different areas. And so, you know, under marketing, you've got your social, you've got your you know, your CRM, uh, you know, you've got your Bizarre Voice, the sprinklers, you know, th- those types of services uh, in there. Uh, front end, you've got your content management, any personalization, A-B testing, uh, uh, product syndication, PIMS, uh, you know, digital asset mm-hmm. management as well. Um, you know, back end, that's really where you see platforms come in pretty strong, uh, especially like a Shopify yeah. or like a big commerce mm-hmm. where you know, you've got everything from your, your catalog to your user experience to, you know, checkout. Um, you know, logistic fulfillment in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to do any of your connectivity with uh, Rakuten or, or Google or Amazon or Alibaba, you know, that's where that happens as well, right? So, you know, strong integration there on, on the back end side of things. Um, and then the, on the on the media management side, you know, that's where you have your APIs, any microservices, any automation that you're going to run, uh, tag management, data compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, campaign analysis, you know, that, those sorts of things. So, and again, those are each one of those different sections um, is, is pretty large and there's a lot to consider inside sure. each one of them. However, there are definitely services that again are, are made to work together. So, you know, as you go, to, as you put together your planning and your strategy for your architecture, it is super important to, to think about them in those different sections. Um, and then, you know, align services, align capabilities to each one of those, um, you know, pieces inside those categories that will work well together. And in the end, once you have a system that that's built that way, what you'll find is you kind of forget about it because it all works. <laughs> it all works. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, there's not, there's not a fire to be put out every day because, oh, this integration failed or, you know, uh, services X, Y, and Z are, are, are timing out. You, you will always have uh, systems that are just built to, to work together beautifully. Yeah. Um, and, you know, data is flowing the way it's supposed to. There's no hangups. 
Um, and that's what the business wants ultimately, right? And I think that's key to remembering why why did I build it in the first place? And that's to make money. Sure. <laughs> and sure. It, for, for the business, right? Ultimately, yeah. if you're not running a business well, if you're not making money, if customers aren't happy, then we on the technology side have failed and we've not not done our job well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so uh, ensuring that you, know, you think about things, again, from like an ecosphere standpoint, everything inside the bubble has to work well together. And w- when it does, then the business is happy. Uh, hopefully customers are happy. They're spending money uh, and you're able to operate uh, the, the business. Sure. You know, well, sure. Smoothly. So maybe this is uh, when we are discussing product strategy and product management, maybe it's the right time to, and I did, I know you've done both, right? D2C and B2B environments, right? And I know many of the brands, they have like both D2C and B2B, you know, strategies. Uh, B2B obviously is like a huge growing, you know, segment within the overall e-commerce space. So from your experience, what are the major, you know, differences or consideration you need to take, you know, into consideration when you've developed, you know, D2C versus B2B, you know, environments? Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, again, I, I got my start in B2B. So it's actually uh, a love of mine. And mm. in, in the beginning um, of, of <laughs> e-commerce, I sound old, but in the beginning <laughs> of e-commerce, though, uh, you know, it really was. Uh, a B2B world and uh, and B2C, and then ultimately kind of went to uh, direct to consumer actually direct to consumer. a little bit a little bit later, right? It's yeah. kind of a funny yeah. thing to think about, but uh, direct to consumer wasn't the first uh, real player, right? It was yes. it was B- B2C, which is again kind of an odd thought. Um, but uh, from a from a B2B perspective, though, in the beginning, it really was very old school feeling, right? It was kind of mm-hmm. EDI feeling where it kind of was emulating yes. EDI. It was emulating sort of these older kind of concepts and the way the business is structured. Sure. But very quickly though, we, we discovered that, you know, with the advent of, of Amazon and with the, you know, some of these bigger players, UX uh, was becoming a, an important part of the consumer behavior. And over time we started hearing, you know, our, B2B vendors are also consumers outside of their, you know, mm-hmm. their job, right? And so they were used to these user experiences on, you know, some of these these larger platforms, you know, with Amazon and, and other other companies sort of leading the way in UX. So, you know, we started saying, well, maybe we need to start pulling some of this in, right? And and kind of getting away from this a bit more of an archaic sort of approach and started building in a little slicker UIs, a little, you know, nicer um you know, capabilities, uh, you know, remembering mm-hmm. things for them, you know, automatically. Uh, what did you buy last month? I mean, so it really kind of started emulating a lot. But the difference, though, um, still was that B2B has to operate like the 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 B2B relationship, right? So you can't get away from the, the, the need, you know, I'm ordering a pallet of something or I'm ordering... <laughs> many pallets of things, yeah. uh, you know, across multiple SKUs, uh, you know, what's your availability across a hundred items that I'm ordering now. So, you know, that's very different, but the UI and the user experience needs to reflect the, the ease that, you know, you see in the direct to consumer or B2C worlds. Sure. So, um, it, yeah, it's fascinating to see how over time a B2B has emulated direct to consumer and B2C, and then mm-hmm. also it stays sort of true to its roots um, just out of the necessity of how the relationships work. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of tying back our, our, our first, um, um, discussion points along, uh, you know, with teams, the teams are still needed to align t- to the platforms, right? So from a B2B, B2C or direct to consumer standpoint, same structure works, uh, the same hybrid approach for products and project management works. Yeah really just um, you know understanding your customers and what the customers need from a user experience standpoint yeah um, that's really the that's where it differs yes yes I mean some of the these large platform providers technology providers they obviously provide like d2c and b2b capabilities within the same backend right and that's right. some of them are not and b2b is more of a you know kind of a approval of a, of, of a buyer right like a B2B buyer, you have to sign in, get your, you know, someone needs to approve you. And then maybe we need to open like a credit line, 
it's not just you know Stripe or checkout, you know, by credit cards and right. like, like maybe quotation models and they're, they're like various specific things that are more B two B that needs to be taken into consideration. Obviously, in B two B scenarios, they have like a big ERP behind the scenes. Maybe it's an Oracle NetSuite or some others that you know more integrations are required, uh, more com- complex workflows. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's um, also the opportunity is is substantial and. I believe that any D2C has a B2B, needs to have a kind of a B2B strategy, right? Like, you know, even Netflix, which is considered you know, D2C company, right. you know, I don't know if it's 50% I heard that of the revenues is, you know, coming from B2B engagement, right? With telcos all around the world. Oh, so, yeah. so B2B, I think, is, is very, very important. It needs to be a strategy of, of um, you know, in the heads of any CMO out there. So, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Jeremy, we... I feel like we are designing and building a new startup. So let's continue now with the, <laughs> one of the most controversial topics, which are a combination of uh, engineering and emotional and art, right? UI, UX, right? That's a very um, challenging topic. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you hear demand from engineering side, probably marketing, trying to come up with the best uh, experience. For user experience is like a very broad word right to define what it is eventually people want to feel some emotion with the, with the brand right and, and the technology needs to support that so what are your thoughts in, in terms of what's working in ui ux these days yeah yeah absolutely well again with the introduction of a lot of these uh platforms i think they're doing a really really great job of taking a lot of best practices and infusing the best practices from a ux perspective into the platform they don't make you use them you know they're they're there mm-hmm. um but you know you don't have to use them um and you know, like an example of that would be uh you know shopify has uh their ability to do uh markets and so markets sure. because uh they're using them like globally on the back end mm-hmm. of things uh but what that allows you to do is to pretty seamlessly spin up uh, you know, international markets, if you're a U.S. company, let's say, you know, you would like to sell in the in the U.K. and, and Sweden and France, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you got your targets there. Um, you can create market very quickly, right? Uh, and now, now you've got uh, pricing that includes uh, uh, duties and VAT. Um, and, and again, that's from a U.S. perspective, that's what those markets are expecting, right? So if the price doesn't include all of the duties, uh, all of the other fees, you know, taxation in the price, mm-hmm. then that's unfamiliar to them, right? And so you, you need to make sure that you understand uh, from a user expe- experience standpoint, yes. what, what your, you know, your target uh, customer is expecting and then reflect that. So, you know, again, Shopify's already got that built in. Um, again, you can spend it up quite quickly um, and then, you know, and off you go. Um, curiously enough, even with that same capability, there's an AI component built in where it will do translations for you as well. Sure. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to use that. You can turn it on and off. Uh, there's a geolocation, um, uh, you know, a feature built into it as well, where, it, you know, it knows where you are in the world and can switch that automatically and, mm-hmm. you know, do pop-ups for you, you know, all the things, right? So, um uh, in years gone by, that would have been, um, you know, several meetings with a lot of people around a table to say, you know, how are we going to deal with this? And then that yeah. would translate into a, U, a, you know, a UI designer putting together, you know, lots of varying options of you know, how we're going to approach this. And, you know, now today there, there's a lot of these features and functions sort of, you know, they're there, right? They're not turned on by default. But if you would like to, to activate it, uh, kind of, this kind of goes back to the end of the discussion about, um, you know, applications versus native capabilities and, and yeah. custom development, but mm-hmm. you know, the UI UX capabilities are, are all there. Now, I will say that you know, themes you have to be definitely careful if you're installing themes on any of these platforms as well. Um, you know, a lot of the themes actually um, preclude you to using some of these features, so you have to yeah. be very careful, um, not just going out and buying some random theme and yes. And, then it's not only the look and feel right hey it looks good nice colors i mean functionalities obviously journeys yeah that's right that's right yeah yeah Yeah. a lot of the functionality uh is baked into the capabilities uh, of the theme and if you've used the wrong theme then you could get yourself in trouble and have to go backwards um 
but yeah, I think um, from a UIX uh, perspective, though, thankfully the you know the platforms are now helping um, a lot uh, from that perspective. Okay. Uh, but uh, you know, if you're if you're a large company, if like you're an AT and T, you're a Delta, you're you know someone like that. Obviously, this this discussion using a platform makes no sense, right? No sense. You're, correct. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna have to go out. You're gonna really have to do uh, a lot of digging around your your what your customers' goals. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to sell? Uh, you know, and, and let's start all the way at the beginning, and then let's say you know, let's make sure that we have you know, systems and UIs that satisfy mm -hmm. the you know all of the different needs. Um, and then sort of go through the, the normal process of UI mockups, approvals, uh, you know, engineering, architecture, you know, looking at these mockups, building out, uh, you know, uh, uh, real working mockups as well to make sure that, you know, it satisfies the needs. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes there's a bit of a blend, right? So you maybe... Uh, maybe you're a Home Depot, and I helped uh, build uh, a very nice uh, configurator for Home Depot one time, right? So Home wow. Depot has the capability of just selling a light bulb to you, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, you know, there's also configurators as well. But once you kind of get into that world, okay, well now you're into custom. You need to make sure that you understand what your customers are needing, and designing around that need, and. and I think that the first inclination is always let's design around what our system can do. And that's always a, a blinking, <laughs> yeah. blinking red light, right? You should never do that. Uh, so sure. let's start with what the customers need. Um, and then if our system can't do it, let's figure out why it can't um, and, then, and then go from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So obviously UIUX, I mean, from your experience and you've developed UIUX as a and also, you know, use custom templates. Um, it's a process that involves, you know, marketing, product, right, engineering. I mean, it's like everyone has a has a thought, right? I mean, how right. do you see that? What is the ideal process, you know, of coming up with first what's required, and and second how to implement it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I think ultimately, uh, from a, from a user experience evaluation standpoint, you know, you start with wireframes, make sure that you understand what what. Mm -hmm. Again, what the user's needs are, visual design uh, as well. As you kind of move through the process, uh, you know, circulate the the visual designs around to the, to the technical teams, the business teams, um, and, and even do some uh, you know experiments with uh, you know test groups as well to make sure that the okay. visual designs make sense. Mm -hmm. um, you go to your functional implementation, then where you know you, you put it into a test system where you know it's a sandbox, it's a test. Uh, environment where you know you can now implement that. You're 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 making the jump now from you know the the, the visual design to actual written code, mm -hmm. uh, which you know can can usually be you know a bit of a lengthy uh, uh, you know effort depending on on the size of the project. Yeah. Um, and then once you know you're happy with that, you kind of can you can roll it out, um, making sure that there's strong analytics, uh, obviously tied to that as well. Uh, into the to the key points in the process. So if you're doing a configurator, um, you know there's lots of key points there. If if you're building, you know, um, uh, something a bit more typical, right? Then you have some 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 more basic milestones. But uh, again, every every project is different, so you, it's hard to uh, talk about specifics. But just from a yes. general perspective, though, ensuring that you have analytics hooked in uh, is is critical and key. And then you can refine. Uh, and 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 go from there. Yes, um, I have had the opportunity uh, to uh, you know work for like like we were saying uh, you know Fortune fifteen companies. And so that's actually a very interesting opportunity when you're looking at UI and UX from from that scale, right? So you know, say you own a hundred brands now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what do, what do you do? Uh, wow. Do you do yeah. do you start from UI UX from the beginning every time? Mm -hmm. Do you create a catalog of UX uh, you know uh, components? Uh, so uh, that, you know that really was my approach. Where, where you know, let's say you know you're again you're responsible for a hundred brands. You're going to work through. You're going to replatform a bunch of them, right? Uh, ensuring that you have best practices put in place. You don't start over every time. There's efficiencies. Um, you know, sort of built in there. Yeah. Uh, you have a, a, a well-oiled process that you use. Uh, and then that way you can, you're not always starting from zero. You, you can come in with, you know, here's my best practice for for UI, UX. Here's my best practices for data compliance and on down the way. 
and now you're you're starting with something that that's um you know at least halfway baked <laughs> instead sure. of from, from uh from zero yeah but um yeah and uh so yeah over time i really had to create some pretty detailed um checkpoints uh i guess is the best way to point put it you know mm-hmm. for ui ux so you know you're starting from the, the user experience right from the beginning uh where where did they come from and then ultimately what the you know what do i want them to do yes yes okay so i think we're ready to go to the next step right in our new uh, startup <laughs> and i think this is time probably to talk about data right data and specifically you know analytics and obviously ai is very important in these discussions um what do you think is important uh, you know from from the brand's perspective and what some of the best practices that you see in terms of implementation and proper use of data right for recommendation personalization yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely well i mean there's there's a few areas from an analytics and data perspective um analytics per- specifically you have obviously customer behavior what are they doing what are the key mm-hmm. points well, where are they in terms of you know the traditional funnel, where are they exiting and 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 having that knowledge, obviously uh, pretty critical. And you would think that's oh well yeah that's pretty pretty basic right everybody mm-hmm. does it. Um, and uh, I, th- I I found that everybody knows it, but not everybody does it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you know just ensuring that you're actually following through. Do you really know your pain points? Do you really know where where customers are are uh, are leaving you? Right? Mm-hmm. Where, they're, where they're bailing out um, and then how to fix that. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll give a, a sort of specific example. So uh, there was a, a company uh, and I won't name names, but it, it was a, it's a very large company, right? And they were having mm-hmm. an issue with uh, some patio furniture. And so they, they were able to use analytics to see on this particular landing page, this, this patio set of, of, you know, I think it was five like lounge chairs and things uh were not it was not doing well and they expected it to do well right so mm-hmm. using analytics they were able to see uh, exactly where people were bailing out uh, and then they were actually able to pivot and and be pretty creative duplicate that over and to create a poolside patio set and, wow. and lo and okay. behold uh the poolside patio set mm-hmm. did incredibly well uh wow. so it was really it's just nice, it, yeah, nice shift, example. Yeah. It just shifted the wording just shifted. a bit, shifted the, the the photography just a bit, but then it clicked, right? But mm-hmm. if you weren't if you weren't actively uh, seeking that information out, and that's pretty detailed, right? That's down at the at the PDP level. Yeah, uh, you know, customers are not converting on this particular uh, product in this page. Why not? Let's look at at specifics and then being able to pivot and then have success. Uh, you know, that's where analytics is strong, right? It's not just about the, the aggregate. It's not just about seeing, you know, how many orders I had yesterday, but let's see also where there's problems and where there's areas that we can focus on and fix. Wow, Jeremy, thanks a lot for all this amazing information and value bombs. How do you see the market or, the, you know, the e-commerce space, you know, in the following years? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we've talked a lot about transition Mm-hmm. Uh, over this conversation, and uh, again, I, I think every year there's bigger and bigger transitions. Sure, and um, they become faster and faster, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah. It is definitely faster. Um, I, I think that you know the advent of AI is definitely a, a factor. Uh, you know, the ability for uh, you know Chat GBT to be able to write um, JavaScript for you based off of mm-hmm. you know, a sentence, uh, you know, is is Text pretty to code, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty amazing. So I really think that the future of e-commerce, you know, we're going to see where you can actually uh, spin up and create systems um, pretty quickly, all using AI. It, you know, you could, again, text to code, tell it what you need the, the system to do. Um, you know, it will create an instance for you of a, of a platform. It will then uh, you know, customize with different areas. Uh, yes. You know, of course, the initial um, won't be perfect, but you can tweak it because you can tell AI, "Hey, by the way, this area over here isn't quite doing what we wanted to do. Let's <laughs> let's you know let's change it a bit." Yes. Um, you know, you can even see that uh, as an evolution. Uh, you know, I work with Midjourney uh, a good bit in creating uh, images, 
And so, you know, you can create an image. You're like, oh, well, it's almost right, but it's not, it's not just right. Let me try again. And I'll, and I'll rephrase. And then, hey, well, I'm almost there. And then by the third time around, you're like, ah, oh, I got it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, that, that's happening right now. Right. So, yeah, yeah I can definitely see how you, there's a lot of uh, larger platforms out there now where they're using AI generated uh, versions of, of platforms. And some mm-hmm. of them are smaller. Maybe it's, you know, just an informational site. But, uh, you know, it's 50, 60 percent correct even now. So I can only imagine in two, three, four years, uh, you know, overall platforms yeah. will be picking up on this. I know uh, many of the major platforms are, are baking in. I just I saw a, a recent release for Shopify just yesterday where there's, there's it's AI everywhere. <laughs> and you know, AI uh, um, is creating things on the fly for you based off very little information. And it's pretty accurate. So it's pretty, it's becoming quite powerful. So yeah. all, all that to be said, the future I, I believe is is going to be faster. I think there's a need need to be a there's going to, need to be a shift, and again staffing and what does the staff need sure. to be good at? And I don't necessarily yeah. see, you know, the, the the technical side being super critically important, except for when you're actually having to do this customization, where it's very specific. Um, specific yes mm-hmm. uh, you know outside of that though uh the the everyday e-commerce needs and capabilities uh, uh, i think are going to be largely um, automated or you're able to you know select what kind of business you are you know uh, what kind of products do you sell yes you know, upload a few samples uh, you know let, let's see what that looks like um and then even uh image uh image uh, you know, automation as well as, as AI creates images for you. Uh, it's been, I've, I've, I've played around a good bit where you can upload a, uh, a silhouette of, uh, you know, a piece of apparel, right? Maybe it's a shirt or a dress or a pair of pants. Um, and then, you know, you upload that and then you tell AI, Hey, you know, I want this pair of pants on, you know, a model standing in a street. Yep. Uh, yep. I need, I need like to be a, a little bit, try on yeah. a little bit a little bit windy, right? And yeah. it, you know, it creates that image on the fly for you, and it's pretty good. Uh, so you know, again, that's today. Uh, so you know, I can only I can only imagine in three, four, or five years, uh, you know, that's that's going to become pretty commonplace. <laughs> so. Yeah. Now the discussions around around the eye are getting crazier. And I just read an article that some because uh, this company posted a survey, and they asked when there's going to be a a $1 billion valuated company that is operated by one person. <laughs> <laughs> is that is one it... person in AI? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, when? Is it like three years from now? Is it 10 years from now? You know, that's one well, person can... operating a billion-dollar company. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I, a year ago, yeah. I would have said that we were very far away from you know a lot of the ai that we see today yeah um and you know i would have been very wrong right that <laughs> ai has come on so quickly and it just started and the results are really amazing that's so amazing yeah. so amazing yeah. so yeah it's only going to grow and be faster certainly so jeremy on a personal note tell us something about yourself that most of your professional network don't know about you yeah um so I, I, one of my favorite things to talk about um, is it was there was a few years ago um, I, I got into grilling and 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a chef I wasn't uh, a griller necessarily but uh, I, okay. I bought one of these new uh, you know pellet uh, grills and smokers and uh, I just really I fell in love with it I, and I started wow. grilling grilling everything every day. Um, and, uh, I started coming up with like my own spices and, um, wow. a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, he is a competitive griller, right? He goes out and mm-hmm. competes and does mm-hmm. those sort of things. I, I smoked up some wings. I used my, my specialized spice, took it over to him. Um, and, uh, he was like, you know, Jeremy, wh- where did this come from? This is delicious. I'm like, oh, well, you know, yes. something I came up with, yes. you, you've got to sell this. And I was like, yeah, that's. <laughs> That's not me. I, I'm not. I'm not okay. a spice guy. I'm, I'm an e-commerce guy. Um, <laughs> the spicy e-commerce guy, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he uh, he stayed on me for about a year. Like uh, you have to sell this. You have to sell this. And so um, you know, we partnered up and uh, started a company called Blackbeard Spice Company. 
It's a, okay. it's a, a pirate based, uh, you know, spice rub company. And uh, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. We, uh, we have fun nice. with, uh, you know, the marketing side of things, cause it's, it's pretty unlimited in terms of adventure and, you know, and cooking and, and spice. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we really grown the company over the last, uh, three, three and a half years. It, it's grown wow. a lot. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Nice. So, uh, yeah. We've got uh, several spices out now and retail locations all over the place. So, uh, we were a- even able to get into uh, a resort down in Orlando that was theme spaced, uh, uh, theme or a uh, pirate uh, theme. So it's, uh, again, a lot of fun um, and uh, came out of nowhere. I would have never thought that would be something I'd do. So, <laughs> uh, but here it is and Great. Uh, and loving it. And we'll add the information in the show notes. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, you know, where, where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, best place, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. We have got all my information out there and yes. drop by and say hello. Perfect. Anything else you want to add? I think that's it. Uh, that's we, it. We, we've covered a lot. We're, we're ready to start a, a company. We're ready to start a company, yes. So <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. So Jeremy, thank you so much. It was really, really insightful, informative, interesting. You're given, a, I think, a very, very unique perspective. Of doing doing things on large scale, you know, in this like two decades in the business. So, <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you for your time. Thank you to, for your time. You know, uh, and uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Your support means the world to us. If today's episode has been insightful for you, consider sharing it with someone who would also benefit. Even one share can make a big difference. Looking to elevate your e-commerce game? Discover Vimy, a multi-channel e-commerce platform that will transform your business with the power of shoppable video. Visit us at vimy.net to learn more. It's vimy, V-I-M-M-I Thank you for being part of our journey. Stay tuned for more invaluable insights in our next episode.